0: Hey, it's Jeff Canato with Newest, Latest, Best, kicking off our first week here on Anchor. Very excited to be talking about video games every single day, and what a week to start things off. Horizon Zero Dawn really rocked my socks. It is uh, one of the best games I have ever played, frankly. Uh, 45 hours I put into that game, uh, it, what an experience start to finish. And then right on the heels of Horizon Zero Dawn's release, new Nintendo console The Switch! It's not every day you get new hardware from Nintendo. And and Switch is is really something different, really something interesting to dive into. So let's do that right now. I have mixed feelings about the Switch. The very first thing that happened to me when I turned it on and had it plugged into my big television is the left Joy-Con controller. Lost its brains, lost its connection to the main console. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've heard about this issue. Uh, it's something I heard about, reported sporadically by some uh, press who'd had the console early. It's real. It's it's really happening. It happened to me immediately, and then it happened to me about three more times during the course of my play on the uh, when when docked into the main television. Um, I've played the majority of, of the time I have spent on Switch has been um, in handheld mode with the Joy-Cons attached to the side of the, of the pad, and it never happens there. It only happens when you have the Joy-Cons detached, but it's a big problem, and, and one would hope that uh, Nintendo is addressing this quickly. I was hoping that the day one patch would have already address, addressed this problem, but uh, it doesn't seem to be the case but I suppose that's a relatively minor gripe. Uh, it, it is. It is a big annoyance when it happens. It caused me to die at least twice in uh, playing uh, Zelda: Breath of the Wild. But you know, when you're when you're playing in handheld mode, it does not happen. Uh, I did not have it ever happen when I had the Joy Cons docked to the little the little handheld um, controller port thing that you can slide each of the Joy Cons into to create a, a sort of pseudo controller. And I also immediately ordered the Pro controller. So I'll have, uh, I'll have impressions of that coming up in the next few days. What is the Switch like overall? I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty slick. The functionality of being able to dock it into the television immediately and then undock it for handheld play. Man, playing a game the size and scope of Zelda while reclining in my bed before I go to sleep every night has been pretty great. And, it, it feels good in the hand. Uh, the controls are the the bumpers. I was worried about the bumpers being um, hard to uh, hard to reach or too small for my uh, adult male hands, but it has not been the case. I've found uh, controlling Zelda, which is um, which is full of of complex you know uh, button presses and and you know you need to be able to be deft on the controller. I have had no problems. I have had no problems whatsoever with that controller hardware, but. Um, I have to say, I think that there really is very little reason to buy the Switch at this point if you own a Wii U. If you already own a Wii U and can get Zelda Breath of the Wild on that system and you're planning to play the majority of... If you're planning to play Zelda docked anyway on your television and you own a Wii U, there's really no reason to buy the Switch. The other software titles are just completely uncompelling to me. Very excited this week that we saw announcements of upcoming indie titles, uh, the the nindies as they're calling them, uh, 61 independent games that uh, smaller. Well, a lot of them aren't smaller. I mean, there are big games like Stardew Valley and The Binding of Isaac and Thumper. Uh, these are uh, games that are. I'm very excited to be able to play handheld on the Switch. So that's cool. That is cool upcoming stuff. But man, launch window very very few compelling titles very very few things that make me feel like uh the switch was ready to go i feel like zelda was ready to go and the switch was rushed to meet zelda's release date and yeah playing zelda is awesome this is a really really cool game i'll i'll be talking a lot more about it uh, over the next over this week uh on this channel but my goodness uh that's one game. That's <laughs> one game, and if it's a game that's also out on Wii U, uh, so really, you know, if you didn't pre-order or if you, uh, uh, you know, missed out on pre-orders and and can't get one now in stores, I don't think you're missing out on much. The portable uh, functionality of the of the Switch is pretty compelling. I have to admit, it's a pretty awesome thing to be able to play it on the go. But that battery life, that battery life is a problem. Uh, Three hours and you're toast. Uh, It really does feel like tick, 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 tick as I'm playing it um, before that battery goes dead and I want to be close to a USB-C charger. Lots more to say, stick around. Performance of the Switch has been um, fairly uneven. Again, in handheld mode is where it shines. Docked with my television, I have noticed some slowdown, some frame dropping on Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Uh, this is a launch title that was ostensibly made; ninety percent of its lifetime uh, uh, being created was being created for the previous generation of hardware for Nintendo. And one would hope that the uh, the new hardware is uh, is more capable. Uh, and seeing it have have problems when upscaling that content to 900p on the big, te- big screen of your television when docked, seeing those difficulties uh, does not bode well. Zelda is a big game and, again, was made for different hardware, so maybe not as optimized for, for this uh, handheld, for the Switch. Uh, and, yeah, this is a small form factor. This is a, a, a portable device that's light and easy to carry around, so it's not going to be as robust and powerful as uh, PlayStation 4 or Xbox One. But it is a little uh, disconcerting to see, to see the very first big game to come out on the system that wasn't even made for it to have some frame rate issues. Other than that, I think performance-wise, the Switch is pretty impressive. It's very snappy, uh, no pun intended. And you, know, you, you plug a, a cartridge in and you boot right up. I think <laughs> I didn't realize how much a big deal that would be to me. The fact that uh, these days you put a, a disc in your PlayStation or your Xbox and you wait 10 minutes to have it install on your hard drive before you can play a game, it's a, it's a big step backwards. That's a big step backwards from the days of uh, my childhood when I could throw a, a cartridge into my console and start playing immediately. And the Switch brings us back to those days. I mean, that's, I think that should not be under, understated. That is, that's a big deal and really cool throw a cartridge in press play you're in the game uh i think that's great and i applaud the the use of cartridges for that uh for that purpose i think that was a a cool decision on nintendo's part did i lick the cartridge immediately as i after i opened it of course i did (laughs) of course i did i'm sure you've heard by now that because these cartridges are so tiny uh nintendo has put a uh a bittering agent uh, coated the cartridges with a compound that uh, makes it distasteful. So if an infant or a young toddler gets it into their mouth, they will not like the taste of it and hopefully it will prevent choking on these, uh, these small cartridges. So of course that hit the internet and became a meme and everybody has to taste the cartridge. Did I? Of course I did! Of course I gave it a little lickety lick when I opened up Zelda. It's bitter. It does not taste good. But I think that does, uh, uh, <laughs> that does create some problems for, for selling used games. Uh, if you're buying a used game uh, of, of Zelda, chances are it's been in someone's mouth or at least been on their tongue. So uh, be careful about that. The real question is, is Switch worth buying now? And the answer to that question is two other questions. How much do you want to play Zelda and are you able to play Zelda now? I think if you have a Wii U and you're interested in playing Zelda on a big screen sitting on your couch, you'd have no reason to buy Switch now. Maybe around the fall if if Mario really is released uh, in the fall, uh, I'm not entirely confident based on Nintendo's track record that Mario Odyssey will not be delayed, but it certainly is in their best interest to get out a big uh, a big title in that fall. Window, so uh, the switch really could use some more software. I don't think One Two Switch is a particularly compelling launch title. I don't think uh, Snipper Clips or uh, any of the other uh, you know smaller things that are accompanying the launch are worth it. It's it's all about Zelda. It really is. Zelda is an awesome experience. I'll be talking more about it during the week, uh, so stay tuned. But <laughs> if you have a Wii U, you can play Zelda and you can play Zelda in a in a way that is not not less than it is uh, just as just as compelling an experience that graphically it is on par performance-wise it is on par in fact the slowdown issues that, that plague the switch when it's docked don't happen on the Wii U but if your lifestyle is one like mine, where playing uh, a little bit here and there, picking up a handheld console, uh, walking in, playing before bed, or playing a few minutes here and there, playing while you're waiting in line somewhere, playing on the go, if that is something that is a compelling use case for you, it's pretty darn cool to be able to play a big console-exclusive game like it's a handheld game, playing it in fits and starts, being able to put the game, put the uh, handheld in, in standby mode, just like I used to do with my DS, and pick it back up, uh, get to the front of the line, check out, and go back to playing Zelda as I walk to my car. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, and Switch does it really well. The battery life is not great. You're probably going to find yourself, as I have, investing in portable charging solutions for USB-C. But... That's not new. That's not something we haven't had to worry about with other portable devices, with your your tablet or your phone. This is not going to get you through a whole day of playing, but it gets you through enough that playing Zelda on the go is pretty darn fun. And it does it really, really well. You're, it doesn't feel like I'm compromising. It doesn't feel like the control scheme doesn't work or uh, I'm just itching to get back in front of that big television. Uh, it It really does... Give you the ability to switch back and forth from on-the-go to at home. So it's a success on that level. I would love to see more software. It definitely needs more big titles, and hopefully that will be coming very, very soon from Nintendo. Those independent titles, as I mentioned, uh, the 61 independent titles that Nintendo announced, uh, that's pretty cool too. Uh, it's kind of what the Vita, the strategy of the Vita in its late in its life cycle, when Sony said, you know, we're not getting enough exclusive Vita titles. Let's port over a bunch of uh, already successful independent titles. These are great games. They're great games that uh, you've probably already played or uh, can play if you have a PC. But playing them on the go, playing them on Switch, is pretty cool. It's an uneven launch. I, I think it's one of the weakest launches of all, uh, anchored by a very, very strong game. But if you can wait, it's probably smarter to do so. Well, this week, if you're a gamer, it is all about Zelda and Horizon, Horizon and Zelda. I was lucky enough to play Horizon early, and I put 45 hours into the game. I was completely consumed by it. Uh, Absolutely convinced that Horizon was the best open-world action game I had ever played up to that point. I adore the experience. And then here comes Zelda to make claim for that title on its own. We'll have lots more discussion of Zelda on this channel over the next couple of weeks as I tear into that game and and put more hours into it. But I thought I'd bring up the idea of what is the best open-world action-adventure title of all time, what is your favorite? I'd love to hear. You can call in by clicking the button on your app and uh, leave me a message. i start the discussion with some contenders. I certainly think Horizon and Breath of the Wild are in the discussion. Uh, for me, Horizon is at the top of the list, but you can't have this discussion without talking about uh, some games <laughs> Grand Theft Auto, of course, Grand Theft Auto franchise is the open world granddaddy, right? Grand Theft Auto 3 sort of created the open world genre as we know it in the modern day. And I, while the Grand Theft Auto franchise has never been one of my favorites, I've, I've certainly played and enjoyed those games, but they don't – there's just the subject matter doesn't rank up there as, as my favorite thing to be doing. I certainly think it's in the conversation. What about Red Dead Redemption? Since we're on Rockstar Games, Red Dead Redemption, I think, still has one of the best stories ever in a video game. Probably my favorite ending to a video game of all time. Lots of filler, I think. I think Rockstar open world games, unfortunately, have a little bit too much filler in them, and they feel a little bloated to my taste. Maybe you disagree, but uh, certainly Red Dead Redemption and, and you know this sequel that we're going to get at the end of this year, hopefully... Um, makes me excited for for returning to that world. But for, certainly the first one deserves to be in the conversation as well. What about The Witcher 3? The Witcher 3 was an incredible game, an incredible open world experience. It certainly belongs in that conversation too. Metal Gear Solid Five. Oh my goodness. Talk about using open world to engender creativity and make the player really... Figure out new and interesting strategies to infiltrate bases and take down enemies. An uh, an incredible where a uh, place to take that franchise as well. Metal Gear Solid Five definitely a contender for best open world action game of all time. But you can't really talk about open world without bringing up the Bethesda games, Skyrim, Fallout. Uh, these are action games. They have real time combat. You know, Fallout of course has the VAT system, but uh, these are big open world adventures, and some of my favorites. I think that uh, if if I didn't name Horizon and Zelda in that at the top of that list, I think I'm going Skyrim or Fallout Four. I mean, these are extraordinary experiences. But there are other games. There are games that uh, maybe you might not be thinking about. Certainly, everybody thinks of Assassin's Creed in in that conversation. Assassin's Creed Two, I think, being the best example. But I don't really have an affinity for the Assassin's Creed franchise myself, so it's not going to be on my list. Uh, What about the Saints Row franchise? Silly, crazy, over the top, but certainly does open world in a very fun way. Not really my cup of tea. Again, Just Cause is another not really my cup of tea, but certainly in the conversation. Far Cry, the Far Cry series. Uh, Certainly Horizon borrows a lot from Far Cry. Even Zelda in its own way. Uh, borrows some of the concepts that the Far Cry franchise introduced into into open world games. Some maybe games you might not be thinking about. Red Faction Guerrilla. I think that game is is woefully underrated. Red Faction Guerrilla put took open world and made it into a uh, a playground of destroying anything. Infamous Second Son. I think is another underrated game that belongs in the conversation. Man, I love that game. Mad Max just came out uh, last year, I think, or two years ago. Woefully underrated. I think it got some low scores. I don't understand it. I thought it was awesome. Shadow of Mordor, another one that's going to get a sequel this year. Uh, Excellent open world. And the Nemesis system brought another twist on what it means to play in the open world. There are a lot of contenders to this category. I wonder what you think. Uh, For me, Horizon and Zelda are really showing what's possible but we've got a lot of games and a lot of history in this in this area what is your favorite open world action game of all time let me know next up one of my interviews from the game developers conference last week i spent all week up in san francisco at moscone center at the game developers conference what a cool cool show that is Uh, game developers from all over the world talking to each other sharing uh, new releases new exciting ideas uh, I got a chance to do a lot of really cool things, including this interview with Steve Bowler from Cloud Gate Studios. They're the they're the studio behind Island Three Five Nine, which is on uh, Vive, uh, very cool VR dinosaur hunting experience in first person. You're running around killing dinosaurs, and they just created a new uh, update to their game that's uh, not public yet, but it supports the new Vive sensors that uh, will be released in the spring and allows you to go full body VR inside the game. I got a chance to try it, put my whole body inside the game and kick some dinosaurs, literally kick them with my feet. Check out this interview. Standing here with Steve Buller from Cloudgate Studios. Yep. We're standing inside a uh, a hotel room here, mm-hmm. the Game Developers Conference and I just had full body VR. Yep. You guys strapped three additional sensors, the new Vive sensors that we can't even get yet. Right. Uh, you strapped one to my lower back. Yeah, and your and hips. My hips, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one to each of my feet. Yep. And then I was able to boogie down. Yeah,
1: you actually did the kid and play, which we we really, I think everybody here appreciated. First time
0: kid and play? Yeah, it was oh. absolutely the first. You're Why the first, so. I'm, I'm very glad about that. Uh, tell me about the challenges of bringing, because you guys did this very quickly, right? Yeah. Oh, really quickly. Yeah. How did the, what, that, what was that process like? What were the challenges in bringing full body into, into your game? Um, it, it was really
1: hard. <laughs> um, uh, we didn't sleep a lot. Um, we knew the trackers were coming when they announced them at CES. And that's we decided that weekend to just do a test to see if we could get anything close to. We, we then called it the full body experiment with controllers trapped to our feet and like two Vive hack running. for. So we had it all wireless. And when that worked, we sent that video in and we were like, Hey, we really want to do this. Can you send us some trackers? And um, eventually, you know, that happened. They said, yes, they sent them to us. So while we were waiting for those to show up, we kept doing more work with like adding an additional controller on our hips via the USB cable, um, which I don't recommend. That was like a backache for a week because you can't sit down with that on your hips. Um, But at any rate, so a lot of work over a course of a couple of weeks. um, And then when the trackers arrived, um, you know, it was, Sorry, it was a lot of work over the course of a short period of time before the trackers arrived. And then when the trackers arrived, we started having to do the templating and the scaling so anybody can use it. Because all the experiments were only Steve can use it. It was like, (laughs) literally it had to be exactly five foot 10 (laughs) in my build or it would look terrible. Um, And so we we need to make it for everybody. And so once the trackers arrived, we um, worked on our solving a lot more. And then we came up with, um, actually Jeremy came up with a brilliant solution to template it. So it doesn't matter where you put them on your feet, it doesn't matter where you put them on your belt. Uh, the hips tracker anywhere just stand in the shoes right in the game and pull the triggers and you'll see yourself in vr yeah Um, and we've got a model swap right now so you can do either gender down the road we want to do like body modification stuff so that you can change it to your body type Um, we want to do creative player options um, skin hair
0: clothing the works so island 359 is already fun running around shooting dinosaurs in vr Mm -hmm. it's really fun Kicking dinosaurs in (laughs) VR, even more fun. Yeah. But does this open up ideas for completely different types of games that you guys might want to pursue? Yeah, Yeah, it absolutely does.
1: Um, One of the things we had joked about doing earlier was a thing uh, called Golf where you would hit compies into targets to score points with a golf club. Right. And watching you enjoy yourself kicking the compies, um, we were like, you know what, it's kicky compie golf now. We're just going <laughs> to punt compies into the targets. Yeah. Um,
0: just need a goal post. Yeah, we already have like
1: the prototype built for it, so we might just make that a reality. Um, but yeah, so as soon as um, the trackers come out at retail, if you have the trackers, and we're going to try to make it scalable, so if you have two trackers, it'll work. It just won't look as good yeah. um, as having the third HIPS tracker, but you know, we're trying to make it accessible so as soon as this tracker's become available to the public, we'll have this live in i 359 at least. You'll, everybody will be able to have fun with it. Is it the kind of thing where I could buy one tracker and just have one foot tracked? No. Uh, no. Not, <laughs> I can't really it, do that. It doesn't quite scale like that. Um, you know, I think if we have one tracker, we could probably make it your hips tracker and you'll mm. at least see like a upper body thing. Like you'll see right. your torso and your arms and that'll scale accurately. Um, but yeah, to see the feet and have that all work, we're going to need at least two trackers, one for each foot. Right. So... It's really cool.
0: It's really already fun. Do you think do you do you think this is a niche of a niche or do you, are you hoping that this is where everything is going full body can be in the game? I, like
1: I think the dream of VR that we all figured when we first saw it was like this is really cool. Like this is Holodeck 1.0 and maybe this gets us to Holodeck 2.0. Um, is that I think the dream is that whether it's the trackers or whether it's a, a smaller watch size tracker, whatever it is in the future that eventually want to get your whole body tracked in vr always no matter what you're doing mm-hmm. i think that everybody wants that and right. this is this is like that 0.1a build of that happening right like yeah. we're this is the day one it's starting now and hopefully that happens in the future just want shoes that already have that <laughs> <You laughs> right, <know? laughs> right. They, that's why we're we're gonna make the little clips so you can just bolt them out of the shoes that you already have yeah. so
0: uh, it's very cool and very fun. Thanks for talking to me. I appreciate hey, it. thank you, Jeff. A couple of weeks ago, we got confirmation that there would be a sequel to The Shadow of Mordor. That was a game I think surprised a lot of people when it was released a couple of years ago. It introduced a really innovative Nemesis system and uh, really took the Lord of the Rings IP and and brought some innovation to it. It's getting a sequel. That sequel is called The Shadow of War, and we got a cinematic trailer released a couple of weeks ago after there was a leak, actually, in an ad for Target stores that inadvertently revealed the game early. That game is coming very soon. It's coming this summer, and this morning, the embargo lifted for gameplay footage from the game. I had a chance to see Uh, the game being played live in front of me at the Game Developers Conference last week. I haven't been able to talk about it until today. This morning, the embargo lifted. So I'm going to cut now to my immediate reaction walking out of the theater after having seen Shadow of War, give you my impressions on what should be a, a really, really interesting game. Hey, it's Jeff with NLB at the Game Developers Conference here in San Francisco. I just walked out. Of a movie theater demo of the new sequel to Shadow of Mordor that was uh, revealed last week, Shadow of War. They revealed a uh, cinematic trailer last week. This time, they were showing those of us uh, here at GDC a uh, real-time a played gameplay demo. It was uh, it was being controlled by somebody in the in the in the theater in real time, and we, was in a movie theater. We were inside. A multiplex sitting uh, watching the game played on a big screen with popcorn in our laps. Uh, My goodness, uh, Shadow of War looks like it's taken Shadow of Mordor and just blown it up even bigger. Uh, Looks great. Uh, The size and scale is really impressive. It's a much bigger game. They showed us the overworld game map. Uh, they showed us these large zones that you could go to. Uh, two of them in the first game. Uh, more, I think, five or six now in this in this game, and each one is larger than either of the first two from the first game. And uh, they showed us an assault on a uh, a fortress. Uh, this was a fortress of orcs. Uh, they, you, as you know in the shadow of war in the shadow of mordor games you're you're taking down these armies by assaulting their leaders and uh, you know the big claim to flame, fame from uh, shadow of mordor was this nemesis system so as you take down these these uh, named bosses and sub bosses they remember your actions and the world changes they their your reputation spreads spreads among the war, or, orc hordes can't speak today (laughs) your reputation spreads among the orc hordes and uh the the order in which you take them down your successes your fails all add up to a very specific kind of experience for you so they've blown up that nemesis system and and blown it out really and and made that uh, actually relevant to the, the fortresses that you're taking down so that the fortresses themselves will change based on your actions, based on your decisions, based on which of the uh, orc bosses you defeat or you turn to your side. Because your, your, your powerful ring of, uh, of Sauron uh, has the ability to win over these these creatures to your side and this assault was uh, quite something you know you start out you plan your assault it's got it shows you almost like a a chessboard of all of all of the the enemy types you're going to be facing if you decide to take on this this assault and where the sub bosses are what their powers are what you know what weapons they're wielding what their weaknesses are what their strengths are and then the, the big boss and what he is capable of and you decide which of your armies you're going to bring to bear in the battle which other orcs you've already converted to your side and that you're going to apply in this and they will they will remember and they will help you out in the in the tide of battle and this assault, man, it was something to see. Uh, massive numbers of of enemies and uh, you know allies assaulting this structure. You uh, at one point uh, were able to jump on the back of a creature and ride it into battle. Massive amounts of fire raining from the sky, arrows raining from the sky. Uh, and at one point, you even jump on the back of a fire drake and fly through the skies, raining down hellfire from above. Uh, there was a, a moment where the character leaped into the sky and landed on this, um, this campfire, which made a tide of flames spread out and... And spill out over all the enemies. Uh, very cinematic moments. Very cinematic. Uh, lots of zooming in and highlighting an, an enemy, a named character, highlighting who they were and what they feel about you and what was about to happen. Uh, Camera zooming in on, on on faces, and it really emphasized the relationships uh, through this nemesis system that you have with all of these orc characters. Now. Would I prefer a different license for this title? Would I prefer this nemesis system brought to bear on characters that were a little more fun to relate to than than giant uh, hideous orcs? Yes, you know. Would I do I want to see like a Spider-Man game with this system or a Batman game with this system or a Star Wars game with this system? I think that would be uh, you know those are IPs that I'm much more excited about than another Lord of the Rings IP. But you can't argue with uh, the the level of spectacle on display. I have to say my favorite feature of the Anchor app and working with Anchor is the call-ins feature, uh, allowing you guys to leave messages on my channel. It's so cool. Yesterday I talked about my favorite open-world games of all time in the light of Horizon and uh, Zelda being released and I asked for uh, your feedback on that. I got a bunch of responses. I'll be playing a lot of those over the course of the week. Really, really cool stuff. Thank you all. And I keep them coming. I love it. Keep all the feedback. is It's awesome having this be a two-way street. Here's a very special one I got yesterday from Drew Napoli, a producer at Bethesda. Hey, Jeff. This is Drew Napoli, producer over at Bethesda Game Studios. Uh, you can call me biased, but my favorite open-world games have to be Skyrim and Fallout. But I am loving the new Zelda right now. Uh, so many open-world games are all about what you do when you get to the destination. Whereas with Zelda, it's all about the journey. And it's something that far too few open-world games really nail. Um, just getting right that that sense of setting out into the world and uh, planning on how you're going to get there and preparing for the journey. Um, it, it's something that's comes few and far between of these games, and I'm really hoping we start to see uh, more of this uh, in the genre. Uh, Anyway, just wanted to say love the new format, and best of luck with it, man. Thanks, Drew. I really appreciate the call-in. I really agree. Uh, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, it's less like a video game and more like a great hike or uh, a great camping trip. It really is about the journey. It's about being in the place and experiencing the discovery of what's around the bend and just sort of living in that universe. I had a real epiphany last night playing it, looking at my quest log going, what am I going to do next? What should I tick off the box? And then kind of realizing that's not how this game wants me to approach it. That's not the joy of Breath of the Wild. The joy is just moving from place to place and seeing what you find along the way. And I'd like to contrast that, actually, to the Bethesda games, uh, you know, Fallout and Skyrim. All of the Elder Scrolls games, all the Fallout games are some of my favorite games of all time. So thank you, Drew, for your your uh, your contributions there. But I think those are very different kinds of games. What I love about those games, and yes, those are about the journey as well, but what I love about those games is the story that I uncover of the world. I feel as if I am discovering what has happened by piecing together things that I come across. For example, in Skyrim, you know, I might find a cave that, you know, has some very specific items left in it and I, it lets me realize who lived there and and what was going on. Yeah, there might be a journal that I'll read that'll tell me specifically who lived there, but more than that, it's the, the way it's decorated, it's the kinds of items that are there, it's where things have been left. There's a great example from Fallout 4, uh, finding um, some baseballs, a, a whole bunch of baseballs on, on the street at one point. Not really paying much attention to it, thinking it's kind of odd that there are a bunch of baseballs. And then later on, climbing to the top of a skyscraper, well, not a skyscraper, a, you know, multi-story building, and finding a folding chair a table, a baseball bat, and a radio, and realizing that somebody stood there and knocked those baseballs off off the, off the roof of this building, that little bit of story, it, it has nothing to do with the game. It has nothing to do with the main quest that I'm trying to fulfill. But some designer placed those things in a very specific way to convey story to me. That's not what's happening in Breath of the Wild. That's not... The kind of discovery that I'm having. Rather, I'm discovering my own story. I'm creating moments that I'll tell my friends about because of some weird quirk of physics that happens or some unlikely event that I'll stumble upon or the way that the battle played out. I think those are both viable. And yes, some of that stuff also happens in the Bethesda games, but I think much more... It's two different approaches and uh, both of them are valuable and both of them I find to be this, you know, the buzzword is emergent gameplay, right? And I think it's it's what gamers have come to expect now, especially in the post-Minecraft world. We want experiences that are about the journey, that aren't about this linear path. And while those can be valuable too... I'm so excited about where Open World has gone and what things we can expect going forward. I think this Zelda is really going to push a lot of developers forward as well. And I love knowing that folks like Drew at Bethesda are playing the game and are excited about the game. It's truly an awesome time to be a gamer. Today I'll be playing lots more content and immediate reactions... ...from my week at the Game Developers Conference up in San Francisco. That was last week, but I recorded a bunch of uh, live impressions that uh, I'll play a bunch of them today. But first, I want to start with another awesome call-in. At the beginning of the week, uh, I was talking about the best of the best of open-world action games. And Zelda Breath of the Wild and Horizon Zero Dawn both came out last week within days of one another... And I think they are at the very top of my list, as I mentioned, uh, listing off all the contenders for that, for the crown of best open world action game of all time. I got a lot of excellent call-ins on that topic. Thank you all for sending those in. Remember, if you have any feedback or want to respond to any of the content that you hear on this channel, in the app, in the Anchor app, it's super easy to respond to uh, send me a live call-in. I love hearing those, so keep them coming. This one comes from Brendan. I love his take.
2: Hey Jeff, how's it going? This is Brendan Bigley calling in. Uh, So you mentioned that you put Horizon over Zelda in your open world segment, and it kind of got me thinking about which one of those two I like more. Um, What I think is interesting, Is that you even just mentioning that got me thinking about why i like those games in particular Um, and and i really think that horizon is very very good at taking the tropes of all of those games that you had mentioned in your open world game segment uh, and kind of perfecting them whereas zelda is very good at deconstructing them and getting rid of the things that nintendo didn't seem uh, to be necessary right so if you just look at the way the two of them do towers for example horizon has the classic towers that unlock waypoints on your map but it's a giant robotic dinosaur that you have to climb, which you can't not have fun while climbing a giant robotic dinosaur, whereas Zelda literally does it the way that Link would do it in World. He's very much using that tower just to get a vantage point. It doesn't unlock anything on your map. I was just wondering, what do you think about that? What do you think about the idea of deconstruction versus perfection? Is that why you like Horizon more?
0: Thanks, Brendan. What a cool way to frame it. Perfection versus deconstruction. And I guess I do prefer the perfectionism a little. I'm certainly having a blast playing Breath of the Wild, uh, and Horizon is just barely edging it out for me. I, I'm, I'm still early enough in Zelda that I, I haven't settled on my, my final verdict, but I did put a whole lot of hours into Horizon and finished the main campaign and a lot of the side stuff. And I just adored the experience. And yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's impossible not to have a blast climbing a giant robot dinosaur, those tall necks that unlock nodes on your map and send that pulse out so that you can see giant swaths of the area on your mini map and see, um, you know, hot points that you want, might want to go to. And yes, that is. That perfection version of it, that's the coolest way to do that. And and it does feel cool, and it's always fun. And each of those tall necks that you override is a, a new, interesting, different kind of challenge. And you're right. In, in Zelda, you climb to the top of those towers. I was doing a bunch of them last night. I decided just to go around and try to get as many of the towers as I could. And yes, they do unlock areas, open up vision on your mini-map. But you do have to manually select uh, points. You have to place waypoints, place markers on your map just by scouting them out with your vision. And I do think that puts you in Link's shoes. It makes it much more manual. Another example of that in both of those games is the leveling system, or lack thereof. Horizon uses a leveling system. You always know what level you are. You always know what level You know, you can find out what level the enemies are, what level the quests you're going to attempt are, how hard it is going to be venturing into a certain area. In fact, Aloy is always armed with a wealth of information with her, uh, you know, little scanning ability. You are always able to enter a fight armed with knowledge. Should you choose, you can understand the weaknesses of a monster you can understand the best way to take it on you can understand uh, which areas of the monster to target you're armed with a wealth of information and that allows you to attack that situation in the best way possible in the most perfect way possible you can you can maximize your advantages and minimize your weaknesses Zelda by contrast has no leveling system What are you leveling up? Well, I guess you're getting more heart containers and you're getting uh, a higher stamina bar over time. You can certainly level those up. You're getting better equipment. Uh, And and in a large sense, the breakable weapons in Breath of the Wild represent your leveling, finding better and better weapons and deciding how to use those items, finding out better and better recipes to make yourself more prepared for fights but you're entering battles and you're entering areas not really knowing much about your enemies. Uh, yes, you can get a, uh, a a tunic. I just got a tunic recently that gave me a uh, numerical value for the hit points of a monster so I can see if it's going to be really hard to uh, to take it down, but I don't I don't know how hard it's going to hit me. I don't even know how quickly the weapon I'm using is going to break. I don't know how how fast it's deteriorating. All of that information is obfuscated from the player. What am I leveling up? I'm leveling up my skill. I'm leveling up uh, my experience in the world. My As the player, my experience, my ability to use the systems in the game as I'm actually learning about new items, as I'm actually learning about the behavior of new enemies... Yeah, there's a little of that in Horizon, but the game is giving me the shortest distance between two points and bringing me to the fun as fast as possible. Whereas in Zelda, in Breath of the Wild, it's asking a little bit more of me. It's asking me to bring myself to the problem. Which one do you prefer? Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I think I'm having more fun right away with Horizon. Zelda spreads things out. But as as I've said numerous times, the thing that I like the most about each of these games is in direct opposition to the other. I think that Horizon's best quality is how tight an experience it is, and Zelda's best quality is how loose an experience it is. It's an amazing thing to have these two games both at the very top of their genre juxtaposed so closely to one another. It's a shame that each doesn't have its own time in the sun, but it's an awesome opportunity to think about them. All right, next up is three segments recorded live at the Game Developers Conference last week in San Francisco talking about some games and some hardware that I got a chance to try out. Hey, it's Jeff on the GDC show floor. I'm walking around. I literally just got out of a demo for the second Episode of the gallery, which is uh, the first one was called call of the star seed. It was a vive exclusive to start It's now out on oculus as well. This is vr adventure gaming. The first one was a lot like uh, I called it Goonies in VR Goonies the video game first person immersive puzzle solving. I loved it I still think it is the very best of the best of what is available in VR right now. It's a full, complete game experience. It's short, episodic content, but my goodness, is it immersive and cool. So the second one, without trying to spoil the first one, is really taking that franchise into a completely new place. Uh, I played a tiny, tiny portion of the beginning of the next episode, which is coming out in spring, and I was blown away New technologies, let's just put it that way, that you find at the very beginning. New puzzle types, very physical puzzles where you're putting things together and rearranging stuff physically with your hands in VR. I could not be more excited about what's in store for the second episode of the Gallery. Keep an eye out for that one. I'm here on the first day of the Game Developers Conference. I just had a chance to check out the Ausick. Headphones, which promise immersive 3D audio for games and uh, for really any audio application, music listening. Uh, They they claim this to be the uh, the next generation of of audio. Full disclosure: I did kickstart uh, my own Aucic headset uh, headphones back. uh, I don't know, almost a year ago now. Haven't gotten one yet, so uh, you know I'm not I'm not biased, but I have. I have invested my own dollars in in hopefully getting one of these at some point. It was my first time trying the technology and I came away pretty impressed. Uh, The demo was in VR uh, on the Vive and I was seated inside an auditorium and there were different geometric shapes that that played segments of a song. I could move those around my head, I could pick them up, throw them, they would bounce off the environment, and as they were functioning basically as a speaker inside the virtual world, I could hear the way that section of the music uh, moved around 3D space around my head, went farther away, got closer. Uh, it was pretty impressive in how detailed the spatial awareness of the uh, the audio was, How how I could place the, the, the source of the music in a very specific place just, just from hearing it without even looking. Uh, I'm hoping that there will be lots of really great applications for this kind of hardware, and I'm very anxious to get my headset when they start shipping to Kickstarter backers. I'll certainly have more for you then, but uh, early, early results with this one very, very limited application, uh, pretty promising. I'm on the show floor at GDC in the uh, Sony PlayStation booth, and I just had a chance to get hands-on with a game that I've been very excited about ever since E3. Uh, it's called Next Machina. It's the next game from Housemark. Uh This is the studio that did Rezogun, and this is a top-down twin-stick shooter. So think Smash TV, think uh, old Ikari Warriors, uh, it, and it is wild, man. Fast, furious, vibrant, it is uh, exactly what you want from a twin stick shooter, immediately fun. But the game is made completely using voxels, so every time you blast an enemy, they explode in a bunch of tiny little box particles that spew across the screen, to the point where visually it is just a cacophony of amazing uh, chaos. It is is—it is absolutely just chock full of little bits of stuff that's exploding. Your character is dashing and trying to stay alive as enemies come from all sides. There's verticality in moving you around the levels, but you're just blasting and trying to stay alive as long as possible, saving characters. you got to save survivors of this uh, uh, futuristic alien world. Instantly fun, instantly gratifying, visually spectacular. I, for one, am very, very excited for when next Machina hits. Can't wait for this one. Yesterday, the new patch for the PlayStation operating system was released to console owners. Patch 4.5 updates your PlayStation 4 to some really interesting new features, including, I think most notably, external hard drive support through USB 3.0, so uh, owners of original PlayStation 4s can expand the capacity of their consoles easily and quickly, like uh, Xbox One owners have been able to do for a while now. Also, custom wallpapers are now supported, so you can use any screenshot from a game as a background on your home screen. But I think the most interesting features, uh, for me at least, as a, a relatively new owner of both a PlayStation 4 Pro and PSVR are some of the new things that those devices are able to do with the new update, including boost mode on PlayStation 4 Pro. This is a way for games that have not been patched to take advantage of the more powerful PlayStation 4 Pro hardware are actually able to see some benefit from the faster processor and graphics capabilities of the new system. So, I tested this a little bit uh, with some of my older PlayStation 4 games. I think the the uh, performance upgrade is is noticeable but nominal. It's a nice feature. It's good to know that your investment in PlayStation 4 Pro is going to see results in some of those older games, but certainly um, not a huge, huge change, not a huge noticeable improvement. and it varies from game to game. Some games uh, are better than others. And show more, or maybe some games are worse than others. Some games are are clunkier than others and show a much more market improvement uh, on the newer hardware. For me, uh, as a big uh, PlayStation VR enthusiast, the most exciting new feature of the new update is the ability to watch 3D Blu-rays on my PlayStation VR headset. They upgraded cinematic mode. Uh, they increased the the resolution of what you're seeing just in a static 2D screen when you're inside the headset. That is noticeable, really a nice, nice improvement there. But being able to watch 3D Blu-rays, is huge. I actually had a 3D television before the television I had now and invested in some uh, 3D Blu-rays. But when that television kind of crapped out on me, I bought a new TV, and, uh, you know, 3D televisions are kind of going away, and uh, the TV I ended up buying didn't even have 3D capability, so here I am sitting with some really cool 3D Blu-rays, unable to watch them, unable to enjoy the 3D factor, and I actually dig 3D. I think 3D is pretty cool, especially in the home environment, because you can, you can really uh, maximize the effect, and you don't have to worry about, you know, secondhand glasses in a theater being all messy or blurry. Uh, I tried it last night. I popped in my 3D Blu-ray of Mad Max: Fury Road, which, by the way, side note, uh, I popped that in to, to test it out. I was like, oh, I gotta test it out so I can talk uh, about it on NLB. Ended up standing, literally standing in my living room, <laughs> watching most of the movie in, in in VR because how can you not? How can you turn that movie off? It, it's the best best action film ever made, bar none. And come at me, internet. So, popped it in. Uh, it's it's actually pretty slick how it works. Uh, the PlayStation will uh, a, a alert you that it's a 3D Blu-ray and ask if you want to turn on the 3D Blu-ray functionality inside PlayStation VR, and it tells you, you can disable that at any time. and uh, And then you pop right in, and everything looks amazing. So the the visual is as if you're sitting inside a giant movie theater. The screen looks enormous in rea- in relation to your your position and uh, everything pops and looks vibrant. Yes, there's still a bit of that screen door effect in you know happening with the with the headset because the resolution on these screens in any VR headset at this point is not as high as it will be someday. So you do especially in bright scenes and there are a lot of very bright scenes in Mad Max Fury Road. It's a particularly uh, bright movie. Those stark Desert landscapes, the very vibrant color uh, highlights that screen drawing effect, uh, you know, more than other movies might. But honestly, I didn't find that terribly distracting. Yes, it's noticeable if you look at it, but it didn't detract from the overall experience. Audio only comes through the earphones, so you're not able to sort of blast your audio if you have a, a nice 3D audio setup in your in your living room. But wow, is it impressive? And the 3D just pops. Other gaming news we're following this morning, Hello Games has released a new patch for No Man's Sky, adding a whole grip of features to that game, including new difficulty levels, a permadeath mode, PS4 Pro support for 4K displays and HDR, and some really, really exciting new gameplay features, including the ability to build vehicles and ground vehicles, little dune buggies that can help you traverse planets and also craft new kinds of housing and buildings across the landscape of the planets and share those with other players so that they're viewable by people who visit the planets that you've affected. You can even leave notes for other players in these, in these buildings or around the planets for, for other players to discover. This is exactly the game that I wanted No Man's Sky to be when it was released. But my question is, is it too little too late? Are people off onto the next thing? Are we excited about Mass Effect coming in two weeks? Are we excited about playing Horizon now? Should No Man's Sky have waited and released this game when it was ready to be released? just held off. You know, maybe they uh, would have had a lot of frustrated people with more delays, but the game as it was released really didn't live up to the potential, the promise uh, of what we were hoping for. This game, where you're actually able to experience the things that other people are doing in the universe, where you're able to get around the planets in a more interesting way, where there's a variety of different game types that you can challenge yourself with, where there's actually purpose purpose i think was what was missing most from no man's sky at launch and kudos to hello games for continuing to update and work on the game they promised they would and they have lived up to that promise i don't know if i'm going to d- dive back into that universe i'm certainly tempted so many other things on my plate what a what a chock full uh, first three months of 2017 we've got here But maybe at some point I'll revisit, and certainly they say at the end of the announcement trailer, more to come. So maybe this will end up actually being the game we all wanted it to be, or at least I wanted it to be. Also, Harmonix, the creators of the Rock Band and Dance Central franchises, have announced their new project, and it's not what anybody expected. They have announced a partnership with Hasbro to create a new game called Drop Mix. Well, it's... Calling it a game, I think, maybe gives it short shrift. It's much more than a game. It looks to be a, uh, a hybrid of a tabletop trading card game and a rhythm game. This is a very fascinating idea to me. Uh, they're going to be releasing a drop mix board and a whole mess of cards that you'll be able to buy in packs. So it really is a collectible card game, but it is also a music rhythm game. DropMix is a music creation board where you put the cards in and each card unlocks uh, different beats or pieces of songs that let you construct new rhythms, new songs by mixing and matching cards. Also, there's going to be some sort of competitive play here, so it really does play like a trading card game, but interact like a rhythm game. I'm fascinated to see more. It'll be coming out fall 2017. And finally, fans of the 1992 classic Reservoir Dogs, the film that put Quentin Tarantino on the map, could be excited to see that it is finally becoming a video game. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I'm not so sure. It's certainly not the type of video game one might expect from the Reservoir Dogs IP. It is a top-down twin-stick shooter along the lines of something like Hotline Miami. It comes from Lionsgate and Big Star Games, and it's called Reservoir Dogs Bloody Days. Not exactly sure a twin-stick shooter is what I was hoping for from a Reservoir Dogs game, but it does have an interesting gameplay twist. There is a time manipulation mechanic called Time Back. It sounds fairly interesting. You play as one of the characters from Reservoir Dogs, Mr. White, Mr. Pink, Mr. Black, uh, and you're able to run through a bank heist, killing people, moving around, collecting loot, all the things you would do in a twin-stick shooter. All the while, a time meter shows you how long you've spent on this heist, and all of your actions are being recorded. At any point, you can switch into another character, and then time rewinds back to the beginning of your heist, And you control a second character who you then play through the level alongside the recorded actions of your first character. It works a lot like the indie title Super Time Force, which was a 2D side-scroller action game. That game was a lot of fun, but it was kind of a puzzle. This one seems much more like a pure action strategy game. I'm interested to see more, but color me a little bit skeptical about this being what we get out of Reservoir Dogs. We'll start today answering another of your call-ins. This comes from Josh. Remember, you can call in on the app very easily. You just press a button and record a message. It comes right to me. I love getting these. I've been getting a bunch of them, and uh, I really appreciate everybody sending in call-ins I'm trying to get to as many of them as possible because I I love this show being a two-way street. So keep those call-ins coming. This one comes from Josh, comparing the experience of Zelda Breath of the Wild to some other open-world games.
3: Hey Jeff, it's Josh from the World Map Podcast Network over at worldmapcast.com. Recently on your other show DLC with Christian Spicer, you guys talked a lot about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild as well as Horizon Zero Dawn. I'm finding that Zelda doesn't resonate with me nearly as much uh, as Horizon does and all the greatness that that there is in that game. And one of the reasons I think has to do with the shrines, so I want to get your take on it, but to me I think back to a game like Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, and how great raiding tombs felt in that game. The puzzles were more challenging. They were visually interesting. They felt like a little more meaty to me uh, in comparison to the Shrines in Zelda, which just feel really lacking in my opinion. And and I kind of feel annoyed by them once in a while and just not as entertained and engaged nearly as much uh, as I was with Rise of the Tomb Raider a couple years ago. Uh, So I wanted to get your take on the Shrines. Look forward to hearing what you think, Jeff. Uh, Thanks for all the great content that you put out and uh, looking forward to discussing this further in the future.
0: Hi Josh, thanks for the call in. I think you make some good points. Although the first thing I have to do when comparing Rise of the Tomb Raider's tombs to Breath of the Wild shrines is point out that there are 9 tombs in Rise of the Tomb Raider and there are 120 shrines in Breath of the Wild. So it's a little bit apples to oranges because when you're making 9 compared to when you're making 120 I think uh, you're able to make them more unique, more varied, more visually stunning. But that doesn't take away from the fact that, yes, the shrines in Breath of the Wild are pretty visually uninteresting. They're real samey. In fact, doing 120, or you know however many I've done at this point, which is well short of 120, uh, it does get a little repetitive, especially with the, the way the, the little shrine goddess uh, comes up with a quote. And then when you get the orb... You have to sit through the the little mantra that they tell you or whatever it is. And yes, the, you press X to skip, and I often do. But still, why is it all identical? Why uh, is it so plain inside? Uh, it does feel very uninteresting visually. But having said all that, the shrines themselves I find to be always interesting, always a bit of a mind challenge. I mean, some are much easier than others, but they're all so so unique and they're they're sort of wonderfully bite-sized i think the fact that this zelda is both vast and epic and also bite-sized at the same time is is pretty incredible and i can do a shrine or two in a sitting and feel like my brain was challenged and my reflexes were challenged and i was given some new interesting take on using uh, link's skill set in a sitting in a a, you know in one little bite-sized chunk um do I prefer the tombs in Tomb Raider? Probably. I mean, I think that they're they are much larger chunks, but uh, but the fact that that Zelda is made up of so darn many of them, I think that is the fun, and also the fun is sort of stumbling upon them, finding them. I mean, finding the tombs in Tomb Raider was pretty cool because, yeah, it took some exploration. It took some traversal to, to even reach the entrance to an optional uh, tomb to raid. But, the, you know, last night I ventured out to a remote area of the overworld map in Breath of the Wild and I was just poking around and I came upon something fairly interesting and I ended up doing this very cool sort of float-through-the-air challenge not knowing what it was about, not knowing what it would lead to, just sort of stumbled upon it and decided to tackle it and and when I solved it, uh, lo and behold, a shrine rose up out of the ground, and it was such a cool reward for being curious and I think that's that's the thing that Zelda does so well. the breath of the wild does so well it rewards curiosity it creates a, a sense of curiosity what is what does this item type do? What does this recipe make? What what can I combine in a pot and cook up and what will it be? What is around the bend? What what is over the next hilltop? If I climb to the top of that tower, what will I see? All of that is is such a magical experience and I think very rare in video games because when you look at something like Rise of the Tomb Raider or other open world games sure there's exploration sure there's traversal sure there's lots of really exciting action and adventure to be found and it is you are finding that stuff you are you know traversing you are uh you know climbing to the top of a tree to cl- to leap to the next cliff or whatever but i never feel like i'm actually pursuing my curiosity rather i feel like i am going down a path that the developers have expertly crafted for me. And I love that craftsmanship. I love discovering the craftsmanship of what they laid out, where they thought a cool place to hide that box would be that had some cool ammo in it, or where they thought uh, it would be fun to you know, make the entrance to an optional tomb, and what fun puzzle is inside that tomb. All of that craftsmanship on display, I love. I very much enjoy, uh, as I said earlier in the week, Talking about Bethesda games, I love uncovering the artfulness that the designers have left in the game. But that doesn't feel the same here. I don't feel like I'm just uncovering what they left. I feel like I'm actually figuring out something that maybe they didn't even anticipate. I'm really improvising my way through the adventure. Yes, Zelda and Horizon, Horizon and Zelda. Those are the games everybody's talking about. Those are the games I'm talking about. But there are other games that came out this week that are worth mentioning. Chief among those, in my opinion, is a game called Loot Rascals, which is now available for PS4 and PC. I'm playing on PC, and I am loving this delightful little game. Uh, it scratches a lot of the itches I love. I love roguelikes. I love loot games. And I love card games. And Loot Rascals is a very unique blend of all three of those things. And it wraps it in an aesthetic that is equally as charming and unique. Kind of reminds me of an old, uh, an adult swim cartoon or some weird Ren and Stimpy spinoff. You are a spaceman or woman hurling through the galaxy uh, with your... Scottish tinged AI assistant who is hilariously voice acted I must say and you crash land on this planet that is full of dangerous monsters the planet is a very stylized hexagonal grid and the game is turn-based although it feels different than any other turn-based game you actually can move your character in real time all around a hex and And nothing happens, and it's only when you cross the border from one hex to another that the next turn begins. So you have complete control over when the next turn begins, and uh, the game plays on a day and night cycle. So there are five turns of day, five turns of night, and each of the monsters will change its initiative, uh, whether it attacks you first or you attack it first, based on whether it's night or day you'll really only want to attack monsters that you have the initiative on so that you can get all of your attacks in before they have a chance to smack you because you start the game with only five hit points. So you can die rather quickly in this game if a a monster smacks you. So it becomes this kind of interesting game of Pac-Man in in a way where you're chasing monsters around the, the hexagonal grid. They move from grid to grid, you move from grid to grid, so you're trying to head them off of the pass during the phase at which you have initiative on them. And then you enter a fight, that fight is resolved immediately, you smack them or they smack you, who has, uh, you know, more, if you attack for more points than their life, they're dead instantly, and then they drop loot. And that's where the game is really fascinating, because the loot is... Cards. Cards that make up a deck. I guess you could say a deck, but it's more like cards that are, if you were playing this on a tabletop, would be laid out in front of you in two rows. A a top row and a bottom row. And the cards are all items that you can equip onto your character. And they can have special properties that are based on where they're positioned in relation to that top row or bottom row or what card is next to them or if they're in an even numbered space or an odd numbered space. So there's a lot of strategy in how you lay out the cards on that grid in your inventory. And the cards themselves are fun and whimsical and they can provide either attacks or defense or they can grant some special property that let you break the rules in certain ways or or uh, even uh, do some long-range attacks, which are really fun, where you can stand on one hex and shoot uh, into another hex or give yourself health back or whatever. Some cool fun effects the cards allow there, and most of those come from these overlays. So you can actually loot an overlay to a card that works a lot like um, a board game, a tabletop game, called Mystic Veil, where you're actually combining cards, overlaying one on top of the other to create a brand new card. Loot Rascals allows you to do that too. If You can add a fire effect or you can add a poisoning effect or something on top by laying, uh, layering it on top of another card. It's a really cool thing that lets you be very creative with your deck. And as you loot more cards, you become more and more powerful. You get higher attacks, you get higher defense, and you're moving from place to place the... The hexes themselves start having effects. You get icy ones and you get uh, ones that impede movement in various ways. And you are trying to survive as long as you can by collecting more loot, becoming more powerful, deconstructing that loot for tokens that allow you to replenish your health. I dig this game. It is really, really fun. I'm having a blast with it. If there weren't so many amazing games out right now, I think I'd be spending a lot of time with it. I also think this would be a perfect game to play on the Switch portably. I hope, hope, hope with the amount of indie games that are coming to Switch that we see loot rascals on that console as well. I want to tell you about another game that's been stealing bits of my attention away from Breath of the Wild and Horizon this week. And that's because I'm so passionate about VR. I have to spend some time in VR every day. (laughs) I just love the experience so much. And one of the very best VR games available came out just recently for free to owners of Oculus Touch. So I've been spending a lot of time with that game. It's called Robo Recall, and it's from Epic Games. It is uh, an example of what a big AAA developer can bring to bear on, uh, on the VR platform. There's Some of my favorite experiences uh, on VR right now are, you know, single developers, sort of garage guys that are just kind of throwing things together, throwing some great ideas at the wall to see what sticks, being very adventurous and inventive with the platform and what VR can do. So I don't want to give short shrift to that, but when you see something like Robo Recall and you realize what a big studio can do, it's pretty awesome. I mean, this is one of the best-looking games available on any of the headsets it really showcases what Unreal Engine can do in VR. It's gorgeous. My goodness, it looks like a triple A title. It looks like a triple A 2D, you know, version of a first-person shooter, and it is a first-person shooter. You're playing in first-person. You got you got guns aplenty. You are tasked with recalling a bunch of uh, robots in the future that have gone haywire and turned on the populace. How do you recall them? Of course, you you blast them into oblivion. Um, so it's a frenetic, fast-paced, uh, first-person action shooter. And yes, there have been a, a lot of, of wave shooters in VR. Uh, it's kind of the go-to genre at this point. It, it makes sense. You've got a couple of controllers in your hands. You're tracking your hands. It's fun to point those controllers at things and blast them. So a lot of people have been doing that. But uh, and, and there's been some very good ones. You know, uh, Space Pirate Trainer comes to mind. Uh, there are there are a lot of excellent wave shooters. This one uh, is a much more robust wave shooter. It feels like a full, fully fleshed game. It's got st- uh, story beats. It's got different stages. Um, but what really sets apart Robo Recall from its from its peers is the variety of ways to take down the robots. They are a bunch of humanoid robots coming at you, a bunch of sort of drone robots and little, you know, skittery spider small robots. And at any time, you can teleport around the level, get up close to them, get far away from them. You're blasting away with your guns. They shoot at you, and it goes into bullet time. You can catch their bullets in the air and throw them back at them. You can grab the robots at any point. They have little um, handholds placed around them. You can grab their chest and lift them off the ground and chuck them at one another, causing explosions. You can throw them into geometry around the level. You can rip their limbs off and beat them with them. You can shoot them in the air and juggle them, Devil May Cry style. There is so many different ways to take them down and... Meanwhile, you're ducking and weaving around bullets being shot at you. You're teleporting around the level. You're grabbing things and throwing them. You're using your arms. You're using, truly, the advantages that VR brings to the table. This game really shows how using a mouse and keyboard and you know pointing and clicking at stuff is feels old-fashioned at this point. When I can actually physically point things, when I can look one direction and shoot another because I can just point my arm behind me when I can uh, reach out and just grab something... rather than trying to have to press E to activate or whatever. You really feel empowered. You feel like a god in this game. Because you're just chucking robots all over the place. You're causing mayhem and destruction all around you. It's a symphony of destruction, to borrow Megadeth's term. I could not be having more fun (laughs) with Robo Recall. This is a game that, if you own Oculus and touch well you get it for free if you own touch so there's no reason not to download it but it's almost reason enough to get Oculus i mean it's such a cool experience lots of levels and they support mods you know one of the tenets of epic's unreal engine is to make it modular i can only imagine all the cool mods that are comes you know they're going to come for this game in, in a few months time i think it's going to create replayability and it's it's such a fun experience Give it a shot. Robo Recall. It's a, a, it's a big, big recommendation from me. I'm going to make the case that the first three months of 2017 are the best first three months in the history of video games for any year. So here we go. January started with Gravity Rush 2, a really excellent little title. Yes, I had some issues with it, but solid, interesting, vibrant, unique I mean, it's a sequel, so it's not that unique, but it certainly uh, it certainly is a, a type of game that we don't get a lot of, and the the movement system was was really special. Then, of course, Resident Evil Seven. Any other year, this is a game of the year contender. I'm not so sure it's gonna. There's gonna be room in my list by the end of 2017 to put Resident Evil Seven in it, but. What a way to revamp that franchise to go back to the drawing board and create a much more interesting experience than the last few Resident Evils. Not to mention the fact that they prove that you can do a long lasting triple A type experience in VR. I give it a lot of points just for that because I'm such a fan. So um, already we have a couple of amazing games. Neo. I didn't have time to play that game. I've heard it's excellent. That came out in February. For Honor, another really interesting new IP, new franchise potentially for Ubisoft. Another game I didn't have bandwidth for, but a lot of people spoke highly of it. Problematic perhaps, but an exciting title to add to the first three months of 2017. Sniper Elite 4, again, not my jam, but a lot of people dig it. Halo Wars 2. A RTS game, a Halo game, Night in the Woods. So many people have spoken so highly of Night in the Woods, another game I haven't made time for yet because I've been so horizoning and Zelda-ing. But uh, it's a game I definitely want to return to at some point. And then, of course, you get Horizon Zero Dawn in February. Uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, I think, one of the best games ever made. It is on my list of best all-time games. It's certainly adds a lot of weight to the argument that this is the best first three months in the history of games. Tides of Numenera, the the Torment uh, pseudo-sequel, another game that I've only dabbled with but I want to dig into much more, a very, very cool game, a game people have been waiting for for a long time. March hits, and of course, now we've got the Switch. We've got new Nintendo hardware at the beginning of the year. We've got a Zelda that is... Even if you don't think it's the best Zelda of all time or one of the best video games of all time, it's certainly one of the most important games ever to come out. That's a massive release. Now, we get near Automata coming out. Uh, I have a very big desire to play this game because now it's getting great reviews. Friends of mine are telling me, oh my gosh, Jeff, you got to play this. It's right up your alley. Very excited to get some time into that. On the VR scene, you've got Robo Recall, which I just talked about. Very, very cool game. You've got Rock Band VR coming out in just a couple of weeks. Uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to do in VR. You've got LEGO Worlds and smaller games like Loot Rascals that I've been really digging. And then don't even get me started on April and May when Persona 5 and Prey are hitting. This is... Incredible. But my question to you is Is it too many games? Do we have too much good stuff? Now, first world problems, obviously. This is a a silly thing to complain about, right? Because why would you not want an abundance of awesome things to play? Why would you not want every game to come out to be stellar and unmissable? But I find myself missing some great experiences, Night in the Woods and And uh, Nier and Neo, these are games that I just don't have the bandwidth for for right now, and I feel like I'm missing out on, and I feel like maybe the industry itself is going to run into sales issues. All of these games can't be mega hits. All of these games can't sell what they deserve to sell. Are you having problems deciding what to play? Are you just picking the, the top tier, the Horizons and the Zeldas of the world, and the mass effects of the world, are we are we going to just only be able to skim the cream of the crop because they are such big, long experiences? Did I forget any games? Are there games you're playing now that deserve to be in that pantheon of the games that make 2017 special? Is this the best video game first three months of all time? Call in and let me know. Hello and welcome to Newest, Latest, Best. I'm Jeff Kanata. You might know me from some of my other podcasts. I talk about video games every week on the 5x5 Network on a show called DLC. I also am on the Slash Filmcast talking about moves and t- movies and TV. And uh, I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. I'm excited about this channel because it'll give me a daily opportunity to check in on the world of gaming. I'm a huge fan of video games, have been my entire life. My very first job was as a video game reviewer when I was 14 years old writing for the newspaper. And it's been a passion ever since. I also love board games, and I'm hoping to devote some time on this channel to be able to talk about one of my favorite hobbies, uh, designer board games, European board games, the exploding market that is tabletop gaming. So expect to hear a lot about that here Uh, But Jeff, you say, why would you need this if you already have a video game show? One of the things I'm most excited about is making this much more personal. It's just me, no other co-hosts, although I will have a number of interviews from time to time. In fact, this first week, I'm going to be playing some of the interviews that I, I conducted at the Game Developers Conference last week, I'm very excited to share some of those with you. But... I'm I'm also really excited to make this a very personal journey and uh, much more of a daily check-in on my gaming habits, on the things I'm excited about, on daily gaming news. Uh, I'm often invited to press events and get early hands-on with video games, and oftentimes the embargoes on those experiences go up at a time that is not very convenient for a weekly show. I'll be able to speak to those experiences exactly as they come off of embargo. And uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to be able to talk about news as it happens. I'm excited for uh, the, the big happenings, the big events that I get to go to to, to bring you along in a very intimate way, to very, very uh, personal way, get to bring you along with me and and record my experiences at those events in real time as I did at GDC. You'll be hearing those uh, some of those that stuff this week. And even more than that, I'm excited to make this a two-way street. I'm really thrilled about the call-in feature on the Anchor app, and I hope you will react to the things that I'm talking about, that you'll send in questions and comments, and we can make this channel a very interactive experience. As you hear things and you record things and you send in comments, I'll play those and react to them as well. So I'm very excited about the functionality that the Anchor app offers. And the ecosystem that we have to be able to make gaming a daily conversation. Because really, as gamers, that's what we do. We play games every day. We're excited about the newest, latest, and best stuff that's happening all the time. And uh, to be able to talk about it every single day, to check in every single day on the world of games, man, it's going to be exciting. So thanks for checking me out. I hope you click the subscribe button
2: and, uh, and we'll continue this journey. It should be a fun one. Thanks a lot for listening.